Hello, you lovely little listening mortal. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. Welcome back, or if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Real quick, real quick for for you. Uh, You're Going to Die, the podcast is a creatively conscious mortality podcast for a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is, what's mission, which is mission is mission is. (laughs) Its mission is to bring people creatively into the conversation of death and dying loss and grief, mortality, and unabashedly source these inevitabilities for maybe a deeper experience of life, maybe more aliveness. I mean, I guess it's just up to whoever says yes. And you have said yes. I love yes. You said yes to listening and that it really does mean a lot. I'm here in your ear feeling very present tucked in there. Um, I'm thinking about you. It's trippy, but it's true. So weird to think that I'm recording this, but I'm really imagining you listening and us having this thing. Like I, I hope you're going to die creates anytime it's making room, making space, doing something is that it's creating a moment to like really show up wholly and vulnerably and um, I think about this a lot. It, you know, in my my "You're Going to Die" social media endeavors, at one point I was I was typewriting out a little bit of words that really felt the truest of of why I do "You're Going to Die," and it and it is this. It is it is the words. The meaning of life is each other, and so it really matters to me to like have you know that and know that you're listening right now. And I'm talking to you specifically. And and in some weird way, I feel like I can imagine you. You're like, well, there's, what do you mean? You're a podcast, you're recorded. But there's more than one person listening. There's lots of people. But but I don't, I'm sorry, that was that, I was not trying to mock you. I'm just trying to use a different voice um, to represent you. But uh, (laughs) maybe I missed the mark on that. But um, you might be thinking all those things. And I would understand that, but I have to, I just have to really commit fully to my belief that, that you are there, you specifically, and I'm here with you and that this is like a place where meaning is made and our aliveness is found and our connectivity is manifest. And I believe in that. I seek that. I, I feel like you're going to die as an organization born from my my compulsion towards that, the seduction of those spaces to be at the edge. And boy, I'm just so grateful to to say that my week is peppered with these occurrences, including this podcast. And yesterday I, I went into San Quentin for the first time in almost two years. And I went in and I, I, I sat circle with these guys. And boy, I've been missing that. I really, I really, I cannot express enough how much that space and that community means to me and teaches me and 
deepens my experience of aliveness. I've been just thinking of them for two years, you know, ever since that open mic we did in January 2020, and then they canceled them all for obvious reasons. And then San Quentin went through its very dense version of the nightmare that a pandemic would bring into a space like that. But then to be with these guys yesterday and hear them talking about it and sharing and showing me more than the average human being I meet out here, what it, what it is to like do the work, what it is to be vulnerable, what it is to show up wholly. But all that is to say these spaces matter. And, and I've been taught, like I say, like this podcast is about getting to have conversations with people who can teach us what it is to like do the hard parts, like be with the hard parts, be vulnerable and raw, like turn it into something, create meaning out of it. And Sylvie's one of the oldest teachers for me. Like since the beginning of You're Going to Die, showing up and doing the open mics and being a part of the curated shows. She's a dear friend of mine and one of my teachers from all that she's lived through. She's a girl who talks about death at parties her poetry lives in the moment two strangers meet over her red royal typewriter. The anonymity and invitation to speak. The typewriter keys a willing listener. To date, she's written and sold over 50,000 poems that now live in wallets, on refrigerators, and in an army bunker in Antarctica. Her art's been shown in Bay Area galleries and beyond. She's published in anthologies, small presses, and performed on so many stages and radio. When she's not making a living as an on-demand poet, you can find her hiking coastal trails, snuggling bunnies, meditating, or searching for wild parrots in the only place that's ever felt like home, San Francisco. I do want to acknowledge a couple things. You know, her 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 bunny, her her bunny bun bun died very recently, and then we talk about that a bit. And so just know when that, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when she says bun bun now. And Sylvie's story, the losses she's endured, and, and I guess important to note, like a little suicide ideation coming up in this episode that I'm going to start talking about now. And Sylvie's shared with me how she comes from a long history of, of mental illness and depression and anxiety and all that comes from generations of trauma. And she inherited all that. And part of that inheritance is a deep desire not to be alive, too. The times in her life that we'll touch on in this conversation, the way she held hands with death the most was, was in that way. And she tells a story in this conversation when a woman like finally acknowledges her for what she does with her poetry and her, her creativity in the world. And so then like really an acknowledgement for all that she's lived through to be able to be that and her knowing that people see her exist in that way, holding hands with life and also holding hands comfortably with death it gives herself back to herself. And I can't help but like feel that about our life. Like when we are seen, we're not just giving ourselves to others. We're like having ourselves fully, like we're getting ourselves. It's so special to kind of 
realize that and kind of connect it through to all the spaces I've been in this week where these people, that's partly what's happening too, is like having ourselves holy and Sylvie being a teacher of that and having lived through all these things, all the losses, all the, the grief, doing the, the therapy, learning the meditations and so then having a relationship with life while simultaneously having a relationship with the other most important part, which is death, all woven together. So I hope you enjoy and get a little bit of medicine out of listening to this conversation of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Sylvie Alcivar. But there, there also has been, especially, you know, post-vaccination times, um, some peace and settling and ease and really just trying to soak up the privilege of the time, the slowing down, the introspection, the connection to what matters and people I really love who love me and um, re-evaluating my work. And so what I've been saying is I'm in the goo Mm. Um, like the caterpillar who has cocooned itself and literally liquefies before it becomes this, you know, magnificent butterfly. Mm -hmm. We don't think about this like disgusting transformative phase very much. Um, but that's what it's felt like. These last couple years have felt like I am in the goo. And mm. I remind myself that some um, you know, pupa are in there for five to 21 days, which doesn't seem like that much long, that long of a time, but for a tiny thing clinging to a little leaf, it's pretty extraordinary. And other little goobs are in there for years. Like mm -hmm. if the conditions are not right, it, life will not emerge. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really just trying to give myself the space and the time and the patience to check in. Like, what kind of life is emerging here and are the conditions right? Mm. Thanks for that. Thanks for all that. I have a patient that I that's in one of my workshops, a cancer patient who's just living with it. You know, it's not mm -hmm. in remission. It's very much a presence in their life and their body. And they're really insistent on the word thriving. And yeah. they'll show up so sad and depressed mm -hmm. and like in tears often. Um, but, but that's included, you know, it's like, can you mm -hmm. like to thrive and also like have room, which you've always shown me <laughs> from the very beginnings of my knowing you is possible. Um, yeah. that you can, you could actually be the word thriving and not have it. Like you said, be, you've made it to the Hawaiian resort, you know, happy, go lucky getaway in the sunshine that also thriving includes the lows and the losses and the sadness. Um, yep. Yeah. One of the most life altering things anyone ever said to me was um, my best friend. I was like deeply suicidal and he was really worried about me. I wasn't that worried about myself, you know, it's kind of a familiar place. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and uh, but it was pretty dark. And he's like, Sylvie, what you don't understand is like, even when you are at your most low, you're still laughing. And we both just 
died laughing at that, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. just like, I was like, ah, oh! and it really helped me to understand that, um, what, you know, depression can cling to as this, uh, just absolute hopelessness, uh, isn't so hopeless. You know, they're like, I'm like, oh wait, like even in this, there's joy. Mm. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I started getting fascinated by it instead of overwhelmed and depressed, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's such a, I'm so afraid of, because I know what you're talking about, but I'm so afraid of somebody not laughing when they're hurting and in loss, you know, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. even saying, like your friend said, but you're still laughing. It's like drawing a line between something like that's happening, that you are, that you, who you are in the world and maybe at that time, especially, and something that you could possibly be, which is someone who doesn't right. laugh, or it's just so bad that that's that there is nothing but darkness, and um, yeah, that 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 even the acknowledgement still makes room for the possibility, you know, of that, and mm-hmm. and the the grief, you know, that. I know as an artist you've run into and come up against and and in, that we've seen together in You're Going to Die Spaces, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like mm-hmm. it, people can go there and it can be that that dark. But um, I have always thought of you as someone who does have the laughter. And, you know, it's wild to ask you how you're doing and, and, <laughs> and kind of... Um, maybe not now, but in a lifetime, know you to be someone who has lived through plenty to (laughs) not be talking the way you are. Yeah. 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 I mean, even recently, you know, um, I know, uh, I had to put bun bun down and I know I didn't realize. And yeah. Um, so is my best friend. Um, I didn't realize until last night I was sending out a Patreon post, you know, and, I hadn't written anything in three months. Mm. And in my head, it was like, oh, I missed one post, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it was fascinating. Like I, and I very consciously gave myself the permission not to feel guilty about what I hadn't done mm. because sometimes tending to grief is the most important thing that you can do. And it also helped me see like the sort of scale of my grief, which... I haven't quite allowed myself fully because I'm like, oh, she was just a bunny. You know, I have this, I don't even know where that voice comes from. No one who knows me. Well, yeah, I <laughs> even mean, people no one, who don't know you, me. It's not your voice, you know, but I feel yeah. strongly about it as like a cultural voice or a societal voice. Yeah. Like somehow it's out there, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's very real. It's insinuated in the question, are you going to get another it's like mm-hmm. someone who just lost their child and you're and you like, who would ever ask, are you trying again? Mm-hmm. But that's what people are saying. And I get that like, you know, people do pet overlap to not feel the grief yes, and to like soften things or also because there's a lot of love there and they want to keep giving love, you know? Um, I just, I can't, it's very hard for me to imagine right now um, opening up the space of that, really deep relationship again so soon, Mm. if ever, you know, I I don't, there's a lot there. I know. I'm not surprised to hear you say that. And I know people get a pet, a quick pet um, Mm -hmm. to replace or all the ways you described it for whatever reasons. And my, I'm wanting to like honor that someone would do that, you know, and, and for whatever reasons, but also I have a strong feeling about 
the time we might need and allow ourselves to have by not doing that. Like you could wait for another pet and survive, Mm -hmm. or at least like you could wait for another pet and so then like really honor the the death of your your first love you know this yep. this first pet and but it's hard you know and and i think yeah. you're right it's like with a kid it's like it's just it, it's so obviously not a, an option you know or easy option yeah. or any option really <laughs> right. uh, but with yeah. with with animals maybe and that and so you're right maybe that informs it but i think it the the rush or the quickness that we mm-hmm. do see is a testament to like people not maybe being able to, for good reason or bad, whatever, not be yeah. with like how heartbreaking the loss and the grief is. And, but, yeah, I, because, but I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, there are so many things that are different now about me and like my daily life. And I, there's grief in that, you know, where mm-hmm. there was this space of daily loving and softness and tending to and care and joy and that is gone. And of course, you know, you want to fill that space. Um, but for me, it's been really important to to honor it and to like, those are the spaces where the grief wells up the most, like where I'm making a salad and I set aside the carrot tops for Bun Bun and I like turn to give them to her and she's not there. And it's so deeply ingrained like in my 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 physical body to make that gesture um, and then to feel her absence. And it, it's been good to do that, you know, where I'm like, this is a practice for people. <laughs> like, yeah. this is a practice for all the things that mm-hmm. go. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to be able to replace my friends when they're gone and I want to pick up the phone and talk to them or send them a text or send them a song or, you know, the the metaphorical carrot butt. Um, so, yeah, I've been leaning into it. Well, um I don't know a lot of people with as much experience in learning how to, and I, this is totally unfair. So you're just going to have to like navigate it or tell me no or or whatever mm-hmm. your response is is perfectly fine because I just don't think it's like a button up introduction to a human being. But yeah. also, I've heard you say it all, and that is like. Mm-hmm the losses you have lived through. And I, I want to like, before we move into your work and your writing and your typewriting and all, all that love and creativity and grief holding and, you know, the gift of all that, the work of all that, I want to I wanna just hear you speak to what you have lived through, the death and loss um, that really mm-hmm. stands out as a way of shaping you and your life um, as far back mm-hmm. and as little as, or as much as you want to share? Sure. Um, Yeah, I joke that I'm the girl who talks about death at parties. And um, sometimes that's a great invitation for people to start talking with me about death. That's part of why you and I got along pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean, I really feel like I came into this world holding hands with death more than with life. It's like Mm you've got two hands and both of them were really um, holding on strongly to death. And in part, it's because uh, my dad died when I was 11 and that shaped like all of my growing up. Uh, I have eight siblings and it deeply influenced all of the family dynamics. My family is an Ecuadorian immigrant family. And um, there has just been like a long history of death in that road. Both my parents have like 
eight or more or had eight or more siblings. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's not something we really talked about, but it was always there, especially after my dad died. Um, and then when I was 29, my mom died. And that same year, um, seven other people in my life died, including a woman who was more my mother to me than my mom was. Mm -hmm. And uh, her and I had been estranged. And so there was like the literal death, but there had been a metaphorical death before that. Um, a rupture of that relationship, which was really wounding mm -hmm. um, and hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. There's been a lot of death. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have an Excel spreadsheet of all this information, all the losses <laughs> of Sylvie uh, available yeah. for download. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and so I know all, I know that. Now I'm thinking like... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, it's funny because I don't know. This is a wonderful thing about you, Sylvie, and 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 I do want to make time for to talking about like what it's taken to be in the world in the way you are. Because I know mm -hmm. we have talked about it, and I and I mm -hmm. and you post about it, and you're open about sort of discussing what it means to be creative and do creative work and survive. You know, thrive. Sorry, yeah. and mm -hmm. um, it's funny because like I've known you since I don't know, maybe like. What do you think? Like 2010, 2011 yeah. or 12 or something around there? Yeah, something like that. So it's like worth that. about a decade. And uh, it's funny to think like, I don't know you at all as anyone that had like a job in the world, um, like McDonald's. <laughs> or I, I mean, I don't know what the job uh -huh. is like, you know, like accounting. Yeah. Um, temp yeah. work, like none of that. Yeah, and never. I don't even want mm -hmm. you to talk about it if you did. I'd rather just just imagine you never did have that. But it might be mm -hmm. neat. You might need to describe a part of that that version of your life to explain yeah. to the listeners what the arc is from all that loss to you mm -hmm. doing what you do. Because I do feel it must be in ways I know and I've heard you say maybe, but it, it is connected. You know, like you're the way right, you're yeah. in the world is connected to everything you just mm -hmm. described losing. Yeah, it's funny because the nine to fives I have had have been very atypical. Like I worked on a farm <laughs> like, <laughs> between the ages of 14 to 18. Yes, like my college essay I still was don't count literally. That. You're like, I'm a, how can <laughs> yeah. I hang out with bunnies and any other farm animals? Yeah, exactly. Um, nature, uh, hard work, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, sunshine, you know, Um yeah, it's like that that funny story of I literally rode my bike six miles to and from the farm, worked eight hours in the sun, and made like five dollars cash an hour. <laughs> oh uh, those those were the days, yeah, you know. That's totally. what you did. Yeah. Um, and then actually, the real nine to five I've ever had was working as an activity director at a nursing home, mm. and having this job was really a precursor to me figuring out this artist life thing. Um, Cause I had just finished grad school with my MFA in nonfiction and I was not writing anymore. I, I got the job because um, I had been teaching poetry in nursing homes and absolutely loved it. Like mm -hmm. I've never been afraid of death, you know, and I really appreciate um, as my grad teacher said, the underdog, like look for the underdog and Sylvie will be there. And mm -hmm. so old people had like been my underdog for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I wasn't afraid of being with like disabled bodies, people near death, the 
smells, the sounds, the family, the institution. Mm -hmm. It was just okay for me. Yeah. Um, And then I loved so much how this was when I was in grad school teaching poetry classes. Poetry was so novel to these people who were in their 80s, in their 90s. And like they had some idea, you know, like uh, Harry used to say, he came up to me before he ever came into my classroom and he was the resident poet. They had the center crest clip and he would publish a poem in it. I think it was like every week or every month, you know? (laughs) And I mean, like pride and joy. And these Mm -hmm. were very rhyming, um, you know, (laughs) what you would expect, like Uh somebody to think that this is a poem. Mm -hmm. And um, Harry came up to me and said, "Uh, I heard about what you do in that class. That's not poetry. That's a statement. And I said, oh. I mean, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, tell me more. Anyway, he got, I I promised him, I was like, come to one class. Oh, good. See how it goes. Because I had a rule about no rhyming. Mm. Um, Anyway. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you guys are immediately at odds. That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it was an invitation. Harry, Harry Breon. Totally. Bless him. Yeah, it was an invitation. Anyway, that led me to being a a friend of mine knew I was doing this work. And um, he said there was a nursing home job in San Francisco. But, you know, the catch was San Francisco. And I was like, well, I decided I was going to move there anyway. So long story short, within days of deciding to move here, I had a job and an apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, And the job turned out to be nothing writing related especially because of the 90 residents, like 75 of them only spoke Cantonese. Uh, I do not speak Cantonese. <laughs> Didn't come up in the interview. Uh, oh gosh, no, no. I had, I had a pulse, a pulse and a degree, so I got the job. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so because I wasn't writing anymore and I wasn't... Um, I didn't have the... I didn't have a lot of energy, to be honest. It was exhausting to be in that environment and to feel like you are just absolutely failing as caretaker um, in any regard. And um, and I'm a deeply sensitive person, but I decided that I needed to be writing a little bit. And I set myself to the task of writing for three minutes a day. And I got a typewriter because I had just finished reading uh, Jack Kerouac's version, the scroll edition of On Mm -hmm. the Road. Uh, and this was like before typewriters were in vogue. It's like all the rage now. Um, yeah. It has been for a while. I, I, This is like the most pompous thing I will ever say, but I really <laughs> I feel like it. I had something to do with that. I, I totally <laughs> believe it. I mean, n- no surprise. There's a documentary, maybe the only, like most recognized documentary on typewriting and you got included in that, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so yes. for sure. I'll t- yes, I, yes. I, I, I will move on from this point and also remind others that you played a major role in making the typewriter a new uh, thing again. (laughs) Yeah, my claim to fame. IMDB with Tom Hanks and popularizing typewriters. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but I, so I, I really just wanted, I'm a very tactile person and I feel like my work kind of lives in my hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say that if I wasn't a typewriter poet, I would be a sculptor. 
And yeah, so, and I, I didn't want to be on the internet. I didn't want to be distracted. So I just kept it simple, little scraps of paper, three minutes a day. I found that the desk I use on the street, I got the typewriter from a man named Wolf in Twin Peaks. Mm. Like everything was just very magic Mm -hmm. and came together in this really beautiful way. And one thing led to another and I, you know, I was showing up for, um, gigs at Cafe de Nord, like selling poems like merch and pretending like I'd always done it. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that selling poems for a dollar feels terrible. Mm. <laughs> and I needed to get kind of business savvy. So I did. And then just started cutting out all the other things that, you know, the five jobs I had at once and took the leap and... That's like a very short version of a weird long story. everybody. Well, it's that time in the show again, where you've been listening and getting all vulnerable and feeling your mortality. And then we start talking about money, 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 money. (laughs) No, that's not, it's not that, but you know, we do need this thing to be supported, funded, sponsored to have it keep going into the world and into your ears. And Lately, we've committed a bunch of episodes to not worrying about a sponsor exactly and focusing on our listening community. And boy, have we gotten some amazing response. It means so much to us. Thank you so much to those of you that have become patrons since we started really pushing our Patreon page. Uh, That like reliable income coming in to support this thing. I just, I cannot overstate how much that matters. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. And if you've been meaning to do that and become a patron through Patreon, let's go ahead and dial that in. It's the end of the year. You know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So no matter how much you contribute, it's tax deductible, but Go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. And you can also become a patron for a lot more than that a month. And we really want to welcome whatever version of comfortable is to you. Comfortable outletting of fundage for you're going to die the podcast. And that's it. I, you know, I don't have a lot more to say about it. Like how many more minutes do you need me to explain that even $12 a year adds up. Like if a hundred people did $12 a year, a mere $12 a year, how much more support that would be with a hundred people. So just know that like even that's enough. And, and, and then also I wanted to say this, that there is an acknowledgement that we feel on this end. It's like, of course, the money, you know, of course, your contribution is like really precious and means a lot. But when these these new patrons, these notifications pop through, it's it's just like, oh, 
people are out there. Like people are listening. We're we're seeing your reviews. We're seeing your like stars, your ratings. Apple Podcasts has been the place to do it mostly. Spotify just started doing a rating system. So if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, you can actually rate it now with a star. It takes like no time. Literally while you're listening right now on Spotify, you can click a star. But but I'm mentioning all that to say like that that acknowledgement for all those things that come through, all the notifications we get from anybody. It's proof that people are listening. Because I also know that like I used to listen to podcasts a ton and wouldn't do anything that they told me to do. I'm just going to admit that. Now I'm on the other side and I'm encouraging you to take action. But it could be as little as clicking the star rating. It could be a few words in Apple Podcasts just saying what this podcast means to you. But then it could also be the extra special acknowledgement of going to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron for You're Going to Die the Podcast today. Love you. So the truth is, and I didn't get to mention this to Sylvie, but I, I was looking back years ago to post that I'd asked Sylvie to create for You're Going to Die, like a series of poems. And I realized then, and I think I even said it on online on social media, I acknowledged Sylvie for having her typewriting in the world be what got me to get my typewriter out and start using it. And for those of you that follow, you're going to die on social media. You can just see uh, it's there. Like so many of the memes, the YG2D memes are typewritten that I typewrite on my little typewriter that I got years ago in Los Angeles from my friend Trevor. And so this is an acknowledgement, extra acknowledgement to Sylvie for the typewriter influence personally for me, but also for the poems that she's written um, in the way I have those poems and I have copies of those poems on my desk like that I can see right now. And this poem she wrote, this You're Going to Die poem, what the world is always telling us, scored with the music of Nick Jana. is always telling us another 365 days around the sun and all the light as it always comes sings the truest birthday song you're going to die what the world is always telling us a sparrow bathes at the feet of a weather-worn saint francis and every splash and feather flutter catching late morning cries out you're going to die What the world is always telling us. 
You ask about love and my insides turn into butterflies and hummingbirds and murmurations of starlings. And when I open my mouth to answer, there are no words, just the sound of all those wings silencing my fears with the truth all our bodies breathe into living. You're going to die. So I was, this was years ago. There was an article about me in the San Francisco Chronicle, which was amazing. And then a woman contacted me uh, to write poems for her best friend's wedding. And they had been best friends for like as long as I had been alive at that point. Mm -hmm. And her friend was dying of pancreatic cancer and she was actually marrying her doctor. Um, And I was already the context is like deeply honoring mm-hmm. to be able to be there, you know? Yeah. And this woman was just, she was a meditator and a dancer and beloved and just holding the end of her life with so much grace, but also with a lot of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being very clear with like what she had to offer and like not taking on other people's stuff and kind of asking people to hold their own things. I learned so much and I'm and I and I'm like learning all of this by being the poet at the wedding, you know? Yes, right, exactly. Um, I I I get to see such really intimate things about people's lives. And it, it all depends on like what they share with me, but I'm also the person that strangers just talk to me like no matter where I go. Like I can't sit on the bus and not have a conversation with someone next to me. It's like my face yeah. just says, hi, I'm safe. Talk to me. Yes, it um, does. It does. And so it's it's a benefit in what I do. And um, the wedding went really beautifully. And then a year to the day later was her memorial service. And her friend asked me if I would write poems for the service. And of course I said yes. And at the end of it, um, and it was really beautiful. It was in this great place in Tennessee Valley. And it was just people were celebrating her life more than mourning. And she had really opened up the space for people to say all the things. Um, And she had said all the things and was just really embracing of of the end. Um, And not really seeing it as an end so much as like opportunity for connection. Mm -hmm. And so... I was really honored to be able to do this and, you know, people were crying and people were laughing and people were so gracious towards me. And I was also kind of overwhelmed by it. Um, I wasn't as comfortable then with who I am or what I do Mm -hmm. as I am now. And her best friend came up to me and was thanking me and I said, you know, you're welcome. And she it looked me like straight in the eye and she was like, no, I mean, thank you. And I like kind of looked at her like, what, what, what was that about? And she said, I can tell that you're not really taking it in. Like, I really want you to know how special this is. Like what you provided for people here is closure and welcoming of discomfort. And it's just, and you say it so beautifully. And I, and I like everything in me was like clammed up and like shut down. Mm. (laughs) And, and then she just asked, who does this for you? And I burst into tears 
I just like burst into tears. And I'm the one who makes other people cry. Like I had just spent hours doing that. Yeah. And it was it was one of the most generous moments of my life. And the immediate answer that like welled up in my soul was, I am doing this work for me mm. because I need to see what you see and feel right now in myself. Yeah. That when I offer this to you, it is actually an offering to me. And I told her, until I feel what you're feeling, I'm going to keep doing this work. Like that's the work. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it wasn't another 10 years. <laughs> it wasn't another 10 years until I actually felt mm. what and saw in myself what she was. And I feel like I, I have finally arrived there now. Um, you know, it's a work in progress. Uh, but really embracing this, this way that I'm not afraid of things that people are afraid of, that I love the dark. I believe that the dark is like really how we get to see more light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by the human experience and all of its complexity and ridiculousness and horror and joy. And, you know, it's like, and and somehow I can pay attention enough to the details and and listen to the particular of things enough to be able to make poems of it, you know? One way you put it is that we don't talk about grief enough or feelings in general, the uncomfortable feelings that don't really support most of what life is doing around us, especially like systems, capitalism, you know, these things don't, they don't feed. Okay, there's a couple things I want to say about this. They don't feed off of the uncomfortable feelings, but what they do feed off of is us trying to escape those, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it started for me in a big way, like a very small but incredibly life-altering practice was I couldn't handle the enormity of the grief of my mom dying and like my mom and I had an incredibly complicated relationship and um, my family relationship is incredibly complicated. My like romantic relationship at the time was also complicated. It was like everything was heavy and hard. And then, you know, you'd be at the grocery store and somebody would be like, how are you? (laughs) It's like the question everybody asks, how are you? Or your friend, how are you? (laughs) Yeah. The question, right? And, you know, I just kept, hearing myself say, I'm fine, I'm good, Mm -hmm. like empty. And then I was like, what would happen if I actually answered that question? And because I felt so uncomfortable in myself, hearing myself like being that empty. And so, you know, I mean, I was like (laughs) in the grocery store, how are you? And I said, my mom's dying right now. I'm pretty sad. And it was amazing what would happen. Sometimes people would look at you and be like, what? Mm. And then, you know, just keep like getting your eggs across the counter. But (laughs) other times, right, people would be like, oh, gosh, what, what, was she, is she sick? You know, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like my mom just died of cancer, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, my mom has cancer too. And then suddenly we're in a conversation about being really human. And sure, it's like three minutes, but damn, felt so much better than fine, 
good, you know, and the eggs mm-hmm. still slide across the counter. <laughs> yeah, everything else still can keep happening. Um, mm-hmm. But you're also, I think, became, are a person who is that invitation to say the, those things and and Thanks. to speak what's being held in the heart. The way I put it is like that thing that defines us more than anything in a day or mm-hmm. a lifetime, but we're not talking to anybody about it mostly. We're talking yeah. about the eggs, you know, and how much yeah, exactly. And, you know, where do you bank at? Exactly. Yeah, oh my gosh. I, I would be so happy if I never again in my life and forgive everyone who will say this to me the thousand times that it's going to come. But when I ask, what would you like this to be about? And they say, traveling. And then I say, where do you travel? And they say, everywhere. And I'm like, the world is vast. You cannot go everywhere. Yeah, you say that. Can we we get specific? And what's funny is that, so I've... I've realized that it's so important to me to be like, I, like to really be honoring like, oh, I am someone who models this. Like I, mm-hmm. I do ask, like open this space, ask these questions, model this behavior. And it's come out of surviving, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I needed to say, I'm really depressed. <laughs> I needed mm-hmm. to say, my mom's dying. I needed to say, my heart hurts right now. Yeah. Um, or in other times, I need to say, like, oh, I just went for a really great hike, you know, or because there's there's a way that people are also uncomfortable with happiness and joy. It's like you can't be doing too well because yeah. then it's like suspicious yeah. or an affront or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially really now. Bizarre. I mean, I, I do think yes, that, that there were a time where especially, now. especially that's, that's very real. Um, what When I have moments of knowing someone's caring let's say grief, like something fresh, and I choose not to go there. But mm-hmm. I, and and I think maybe more and more, the more I've done You're Going to Die in the World, the more I've kind of created some boundaries knowing like when I go to the fucking cocktail yeah. hour with the neighbors, like <laughs> I don't have to be that guy. You know, can I just, I will talk about baseball with you. Can yeah. you just, and mm-hmm. I don't really want mm-hmm. to, but like there are times when I'm like, I'll totally talk about baseball. Um, and I yeah. prefer it over what I know you probably are carrying right now. But I'm wondering, how do you ask someone, especially in the in the writing, in the in the poetry, mm-hmm. what is there a way you know someone is carrying it and it's mm-hmm. like they give you the travel thing or something else and you, yeah. you have you figured out a way to be like, no, dude, like someone just died. Tell me about that. Like, I know it's not that, but like, how do you get, how do you get there? Yeah. So what's interesting is that um, I've decided and in this goo phase of where I'm at right now and, and that I am no longer going to be asking people the open-ended, who is this for? What do you want it to be about? Mm. Um, because it's a, it's almost a little bit too open. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, like I'm the common denominator of this work. Like I'm the one who has to talk to all these people. I mm-hmm. want this to be kind of interesting and fascinating for me too. And there are incredible things that come through, right? Like some people, they're on it. They know they've got details, feelings, like, you know, all the things, but mm-hmm. mostly it's, I'm putting people on the spot. It's difficult. And it's like, I've realized that, and also because there are typewriter poets and you know haiku people and whatever, there's this gimmick that has happened yeah. with the medium that I use. And I'm like, 
I, I'm the lady who like channels your spirit, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is not there a There happens to be a typewriter here, people. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like, I'm not going to pigeonhole myself. Like, I write plenty of poems about dumb things. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my work can, my work can also like not yeah. be that great. You want to no keep yourself open, gonna happen. To, open to those jobs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Listeners, yeah. Like, well, no, note. I just, <laughs> well, also, I just mean that, like, I don't even know what's going to happen before it happens. Mm. Like, not everything is full of depth and connection and sure. meaning. Like, some sometimes it's a poem about a sloth pooping, you know? Like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> Runs the gamut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have recently decided that I want to be more directed about what I ask to be kind of coming from a place of, let's see if we go there. Not mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe we'll end up there. And so I just, the curated questions that I've been um, asking are, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm-hmm. And the one that really gets people is, what do you need to know? Mm. And it's like really a pretty simple question, mm-hmm. but it almost immediately gets people into that like instinctive place of, where like real feeling lives, like mm-hmm. the in edge of being human. Yeah. Um, and it takes people by surprise because I'm a total stranger and I'm yeah. like, hi, <laughs> let's look into your soul. Uh-huh. Well, I like yeah. it because it sets the possibility and someone still could be mm-hmm. like, well, I'm just thinking about traveling right now. And then you exactly. for sure just like, exactly. fine, let's do that. Just at least name yeah. the place. You know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Although I have been like, uh, for there was a time when I was really um, bitter about love, and of course, the most common requests for poems are about love and are about loss. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I can't write love poems. Mm-hmm. Like, I just do not want to hear about another person's happiness. Like, oh, and so I put up a little <laughs> sign that said, no love poems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I was just hoping you were going to say that. I was like, you have to at least just put the sign up so you don't have to tell anybody. It's just suddenly a thing. Do not bring this up. Yeah. This is not one of your options. That's great. And But what was amazing about saying no love poems is that it, was, it still ended up being love poems. But because mm-hmm people weren't thinking about it through that lens, it got to be much more nuanced. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, oh, I love my boyfriend because we travel and he plays golf. It was like, I really love that he remembers to bring me coffee in the morning, like the way that I like it. And Mm -hmm. he touches my face like right here. You know, it was like the stuff I want to hear instead of the broad strokes. It was like much more personal when you just remove the idea of love poem from it because the pressure was gone. Because, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, right? Like we've been on this trajectory together, like you said, mm-hmm. and we deal with people in some pretty vulnerable states where like unexpected things come up. And, you know, like, and so for us, I'm curious, for me, sometimes there isn't novelty in what I'm offering because I've done it so much, right? But new and nuanced things happen. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm curious if, Like, you know, do you have a similar experience of like, oh, here's that guy who doesn't like, I don't know. Like, what's your equivalent of the travel poem is my question. Yeah, what what is that guy? Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, for sure. And I think maybe more now in the context of the hospital work, especially going, Mm. um, it's like I'm 
you at a party um, showing up, walking into a room though, and someone's like in treatment at the hospital. And I'm like, hey, do you want to write? Do you want to do some creative writing? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And boy, I guess, I guess my version of it is just where you just know there's, there's not a place to go. You know, you can just Mm -hmm. feel it. Mm -hmm. They don't even want to talk about like travel. Me getting someone to talk about traveling in those contexts is like a breakthrough moment. Mm -hmm. I I had this guy that I went into the room and the, the nurse, uh, the head nurse was like, wait, are you, you're going to talk to who? Like you talked to him? And I said, yeah, we talked. And you could just feel what I mm. knew is true, which is he's so angry to be there and so resentful of the staff for keeping him there and upset and closed off. And so mm-hmm. I go in that room and I feel that, but I'm going to like be there long enough to make sure there's not something to open them. And another friend of mine talked about it like, there's a person in the world who finally is able to surrender, let's say, to dying. And this friend of mine told me this story of a, a specific person who was just like that, angry and upset. And the and this person was asked like, what would it feel like to surrender now? instead of when you're going to have to, which Mm -hmm. I feel about death, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I think death will make us surrender eventually. And why not now is the question. But what I love about this work is that me getting someone to surrender is like just them softening enough. Um, That's the surrender. And that sometimes the surrender Mm -hmm. is in the context of being at a hospital where you have cancer and you're up against the edge already, you're not at a party, you're not far away from like the 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 hardest parts of being mortal. You're right up against them. And so then mm-hmm. maybe closed off to them, like so angry and resistant. Yeah. And I had this guy who was that. And I met him a couple times and finally we got to talking about mushrooms and his forging <laughs> for mushrooms. And I told him this. <laughs> I said, you know, I, mm. I didn't see you smile at all until you talked about mushrooms. And so then all I did is I kept giving him the mushrooms, mm-hmm. you know, as a way to mm-hmm. open and mm-hmm. keep smiling, keep softening, keep surrendering there. So I describe that moment because in answer to your question, there's times when someone's just can't, they won't. Yeah, yeah. You know? And yeah. it's not a, it's not even like a being surfacy thing. It's that they, they just won't let you in, you know? And it's mm-hmm. hard, but it's real. And, yeah. and I get it. Um, and I feel like that's part of life and what you deal with with your work is that people are like, well, I want to just keep it light, you know? And, yeah. and I, maybe they don't even know where else to go. Mm-hmm. But I love that you're figuring out questions that mm-hmm. gets them to. It's like, tell me the details. Yeah. The details is the love. 
It's not like, I love my, I love him so much. You know, I just hope we stay together. We've been together for 20 years. Can you write about that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, oh God, I'm so, I'm so sorry for how I just made a person like that sound. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but I, I know. Think, <laughs> I'm so sorry for all the people who've ever asked about poems about travel and like, it, it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I think like, we, you know, I, I got I to gotta think about how this gets included. I know, <laughs> I know. Listen, I, I want to just acknowledge to the listeners from both of us <laughs> that like we also get it, you know, like we get mm-hmm. that that's how we have to live sometimes or how we've been yeah. taught to or how we show up. And I understand this one and I'm thinking of one other patient in particular that just, mm-hmm. I, I went in that room six times, you know, and I just... I knew it wasn't the place for me and I wasn't the person. And that's another moment. That's just like, let it go, you know? Yeah. Like it's not your job to like save everybody, you know? Right. And it's funny because I think what people don't, like I'm not announcing it anywhere, you know? It's like if you haven't experienced this thing you're talking about that often happens when I'm doing my work, like you're just at a party (laughs) going to do this thing that someone said was cool. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and so for you, the expectation is different. And so, yeah, yeah, it's like, I'm in, I'm like, no, but I want, and not even like I want, I'm like, yeah, but what's most fascinating about this thing we're doing right now called being alive is that we're alive. You know, (laughs) like, let's be in that, Mm. right? Like, because I'm, and it's this weird, like I am, constantly thinking like, no, 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 but you're going to die. So (laughs) talk from that place. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's really what's in the back of my mind all the time Mm -hmm. when I'm interacting with people. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I really love that. And I'm, it's a message I'm getting a lot, um, in the last like week or so, there's these times, mm-hmm. stretches of time where things just weave through everything. Like this conversation, something's connecting to a workshop, connecting to a visit with a patient in the hospital. Um, and uh, that that particular thing, this like, and, it, and it's what your friend said to you. It's you're still laughing, you know? Yeah. Like, I know it's fucked up. It's the worst. Yeah. Right. You know, but you're also here. It's like you wouldn't give it, give up being mm-hmm. here and laughing with me. As bad as it has gotten, as bad as it can get, I still want it. I still want that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's fascinating to me. um, And, you know, I'm sure you encounter this in your work in the hospital all the time is like how people are so afraid to move into any kind of vulnerability. And that even the particulars of joy. Mm-hmm. is vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Which is yeah. why people can't name where they travel to and like <laughs> what where they wake up, you know? Mm-hmm. And and why that matters and how it feels. It's like that you know there are people who just don't want to be seen mm-hmm. or and maybe it's because they're not really seeing themselves. I mean, that's my hypothesis around it. Mm-hmm. Um or it doesn't feel comfortable, you know, to share that with a stranger. Yeah. And I'm so interested in opening up those spaces and seeing what happens because there is actually a lot of like joy there or there's some connection or there's like a weird story or, you know, maybe there's sadness. Um, it does, there's just like the range of existence then gets to like really fill in the cracks, you know? 
I was just having this conversation today and where one of the big ways that my work is really realigning is that it is really important that I actually show up for myself in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And there's a way in which, you know, I need a paycheck. So I do work the wedding, do the corporate party. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not actually where the, the heart of the work mm. like gets its pulse. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, I think you do this too, Ned, where it's like part of our work in the world is to actually model the, the ways in which that we, what it's like being what we're trying to get out mm -hmm. of the world, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's really important not to lose sight of that, but also takes like a tremendous amount of energy. Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain, like for me, it takes a certain kind of, um, like it's really vulnerable mm -hmm. as much as it is also second nature. You mm -hmm. know, it like catches up with you sometimes where mm -hmm. you're, I'm like, why am I so exhausted today? Oh, I just talked to a hundred people yeah. about like, a <laughs> hundred different really personal things yeah. and, and held that space of listening. conversation with my dear friend Sylvie and you can get it Sylvie in lots of ways all of which I'll put in the liner notes but go to the poetrystore.net and there's a little support part of that website if you want to contribute to support Sylvie you can find the poetry store on Instagram you can Venmo Sylvie or support Sylvie on her Patreon page. So uh, I'll just get all those links up for you in the liner notes, but definitely go check out the poetrystore.net and you can get it all things Sylvie. Love you, Sylvie. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was really nice to like be with you and to listen to us being together and just know how many years have made that friendship and and the parallels and all the things. So anyway, love you. Thank you. Oh, Nick Jana. Wow. Hi. I thought I was having just a tender, sweet moment alone. And no, not tender. You're listening. How long have you been here? <laughs> uh, like the last 17 hours. <laughs> oh, you've, oh you've, been waiting, you've been waiting in the recording room. Oh, my God. It's so good to see you yeah. and hear you. Good to see you on, on this, this low-res streaming video. God, it's like when I see you in person, it's just jarringly crisp and clear. It's yeah. like, I want to start wearing, I'm thinking about the live shows and actually wearing a computer, uh, the whole of a computer over me with like a little screen in front of my face that's just like makes things seem kind of grainy. Mm. And then tear <laughs> it off. Me and the <laughs> Eventually, I couldn't possibly wear it for a whole show. 
Yeah, uh, Otis, uh, my step seven year old stepson, has started doing uh, living gifts, where we'll just <laughs> say something to him, and his reaction will just be like this loop over of, and over. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So that's what our kids are learning. <laughs> yeah, great. God, <laughs> thank God we finally arrived. Um, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing just fine. Oh. I, I it's funny. I in in the interview, Sylvie talks <laughs> yeah. about not just saying it's just fine. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I that that's been said before. I think it was in the uh, Josiah Johnson episode. Mm-hmm. He kind of said a very similar thing about that exact thing of checkout lines. Yeah, the, the how are you at the oh, checkout I'd line? Forgotten that. Yeah, um, that's great. Which I you know which is so funny because I I think of the masked era as. Uh, kind of a relief uh, to be excused from that pressure mm-hmm. to have a conversation in those moments, just because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if I'm shyer or more cynical than them, but I, I don't believe that I could drop in with a real answer in those moments and really, you know, not be frustrating to them or, you know, <laughs> right. Um, but it is a good reminder, I think, especially, I mean, with you, obviously, to not just kind of bluff out of the the how are you question mm-hmm. and try to respond. Um, yeah. But, but there are moments I mean, where I like, I like, I'm just doing, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I also like you did say I'm fine just now with like a little touch of gravity. Um, and so there's just paying attention to that and then giving people the option. What I love, we didn't include this in the interview, I don't think, but uh, when Sylvie was talking about that moment, I talked, I shared about Scott Farreter, our, our dear mm-hmm. friend and musician. And uh, one of the reasons the podcast ever came into being, he, he's done a lot of work on the theme song. And anyway, a uh, little context for all of you who Scott is. Dear friend, friend of you're going to die for years. But after his dad died or while his dad was dying, he went into, you know, a cafe and, you know, placed his order and they asked how he was and he just dropped it on him. And I love that, uh, obviously, no surprise. But then it's funny to think about <laughs> all parties involved. Like, what's the barista's experience of that moment? possibly really tender and special, but also like, oh my God, like not only do I have to go and make drinks for people all day, you know, and I'm just over it covered in coffee and, and, and hot milk. (laughs) But this guy just dropped his father's dying on me today. And, you know, it's like, we don't know, like you said, is it annoying? Is it too much? Like there are boundaries. And so I actually think about this in the way it relates to you're going to die spaces and, and actually relates to something that that I wanted to talk about with you with the the prison visit yesterday and then the follow-up of this work grief space that I facilitated with an organization this afternoon. But it is this like, what are those boundaries? You know, like what does it mean to like push against that line to get vulnerable and show up with each other? Where is it valuable? When does it cross a line? When is it when is it too much in a way that it doesn't belong in a certain kind of space? And there is part of me that just thinks it's a really deep, that's what deep listening is. Like deep listening helps you know. Like I could hear you say I'm fine in a way that might be an invitation, whether you consciously meant it or not, to say like, what's up? Is something going on? It sounded like a pretty heavy fine to me. <laughs> there should be just a, a code word, like one word that everyone All knows. Have- that that <laughs> means... I'd be open to saying something deep, but if you don't have the space for that, I, I'm okay. You know, like okay, marmalade, like if you yeah, just say marmalade. marmalade. Great. Okay, great. And someone's like, oh, sorry, I don't have the time for that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, I just uh, wanted to buy some. 
you know where it is? <laughs> I guess with all, anywhere, there's always going to be a, a little moment of confusion. But we'll say for the purposes of this changing the world and our culture, marmalade is the word, everybody moving forward. You know what? Um, marmalade. Uh, yeah, I'm down to drop in. You know, like the like when you live with somebody and I'm sure you do this, but like have some sort of allowance where like. Uh, you know, like the idea of how many spoons do you have? Like how much capacity do you have for me mm-hmm. to process with you right now? And if you don't, like, that's totally fine. I'd rather you tell me up front than we get five minutes into this and, yeah. you, and you're like, snap at me because you don't have the space for this. You totally. Know? Yeah. We something do like that, that with strangers, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. It could be like a thing we do out and about. So I'm just checking in marmalade. <laughs> no, it's not a question. No, I'm checking it with you. I'm literally <laughs> enacting the word marmalade. <laughs> My back went out a week ago. I haven't had a chance to go see a chiropractor. Oh, it it, no. it dully hurts in a way mm. that just like makes everything uh, more frustrating. I'm going. Mm. I'm literally going to see a chiropractor in an hour. Oh um, my goodness! Who I know will will fix me up. And um, you know, it's it's cold. It's rainy. COVID is coming back. Um, okay. Bell right. hook. Bell hooks I'm died last week. I'm sorry. I, I need to drop down to here. This is too much. You said marmalade. <laughs> I know. I, I only can do so much though. Marmalade. Marmalade. <laughs> you say it. You say it the twice, and it aborts. Yeah. <laughs> safety word. The container has been closed. Marmalade. Damn it! I had I didn't yeah. get to talk about all the things. But I mean, boy, doesn't it? Do you feel like you didn't want to talk about it, but now you do? What's shifted? Marmalade. <clears throat> so you think the word was the invitation? Because you know I'm down to hear everything. Marmalade didn't change it. Actually, no, but you're really you're not you're way. not down every moment of every day. To no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, that's that's everything for me. Like whether it's like traveling and you and you sit by sit next to someone on the airplane, or I always think they probably would rather not talk. And I, okay. all, that's always my decision. If there was a little signal of like, hey, I'm, I'm up for it. Are you? Yeah. you know? We're clear on marmalade. What I really <laughs> want to get at right now is you said fine first. And then I know I said marmalade and you, so you started sharing, but yeah. you did suddenly want to tell me what was going on. And I'm I sorry about your back. So why did you suddenly want to talk about your back? Because of marmalade. So that's everything for me. The itself tell <laughs> Well, no, what, what the word means. Well, this year, can I just put a little more context in this, like what I'm speaking from right now to go back to the prison visit and the organizational workshop I did. It started with these people saying a a couple people saying they're going to be private. They wanted to be private. They didn't want to be vulnerable that they're having resistance. Right. That's how the workshop started today with the organization. Okay. And then, you know, in these workshops, we have a, a writing prompt, like what grief are you carrying? What heartbreak? Um, we have a workshop in January, by the way, everybody, if you want to be a part of that, that, that's been announced, our grief and healing workshop. And this was a little version of it that I did with this organization and the people in this workshop. A couple of them were like straight up like, nope, not not going to. I just want to say up front, what I'm bringing into the space is privacy. And I'm not like literally like I'm not getting vulnerable. And I, I just was like, you know what? You just got vulnerable. Surprise. You just <laughs> what you're feeling. But then to jump ahead, we do the writing prompt. What are you carrying in your heart? This grief, this heartbreak, the thing that defines your experience right now, but that you're not talking about probably much anywhere. And then we wrote for four quiet minutes. And then every single one of them, some of them in the same breath as saying, I'm feeling resistance. I don't want to be vulnerable. 
would then say all the things that they're feeling and dealing with. Yeah. It literally is what I what happened like just just an hour or so ago. Yeah. And so I'm I'm sort of fascinated by that. And I know we're joking around marmalade and <laughs> you're saying I'm fine and then fine and then telling me finally what's going on. And I'm glad yeah. you did. No, it's and the it's, fear. I, sorry. It's the fear that someone's not gonna listen. They're not gonna hold your you vulnerability. That's a big part of it. Yeah, because yeah, I do, I, you know, I, I, I do. I didn't expect you to say that. I do writing workshops where, like, I give the prompt, start a sentence with the thing I don't want to talk about is, you know, and that gives you the allowance to say, like, look, I already said I don't want to talk about this. So you can't tell me, uh, oh, man, you're complaining or, you know, you, you, sh you don't deserve to be upset about that. Right. First world mm -hmm. problems. Like I told you, I don't want to talk about it, but I really want to talk about it. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's why marmalade is everything to me. Yeah. And that moment is like, of course, I think, I think everybody Indeed. wants to be, Sylvie said it in this interview, everybody wants to be seen and heard and witnessed. And there's all this negotiation around how do people allow that and trust that. And some people are, read us differently. Some people see your face and like, oh, thank God somebody who's going to listen. Some people maybe see it and they think they have some association with, oh, I bet he's like this or whatever. You know, you never know what, what people mm -hmm. are saying. Yeah. Yeah. You're, that's great. Yeah. I appreciate that. The invitation, the knowing, the trust, the inclination, or even like a, a, a sense that, you know what, something is wanting and drawing this out of me. Yeah. 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 And, and, and just in contrast, going into San Quentin, yesterday uh, you know these guys are doing more work than most people i meet in my life they're like dropping in and sharing these things more than really i mean like i really feel that i've said it a bunch of times before like the kind of aliveness and presence of being with with some of the guys i meet in the prison compared to most anybody i meet in real life it's startling and yeah. it, it, it's like transformative to be with too because I don't know much that I'm doing in there. I say it a lot too. Like, I hope I'm offering a fraction of what these guys literally like do to me. Like that, like what, what, how they happen to me, the effect it has on me, their willingness to open up and say the things. I mean, I, you know, I've just been, <laughs> yeah, still, you yeah. know, well, you're someone from the outside world who goes in and says marmalade. You know? Yeah, and like, yeah. how often does that happen? I, it's, it's, I said that yesterday, though, but they just scared to me. <laughs> like, no, we don't get marmalade in here. How you know, often? They, how often does someone in from the outside world say, "Tell me what's going on"? You know, mm, it's not yeah. they're not getting the daily like checkout person saying the the shallow version of that, right? Or mm -hmm. roommates or whatever that that aren't. Listening. I agree, but I I also think I think that's true, and I sensitively acknowledge that because mm -hmm. I also think that there's a knowing of how important it is for them in contrast to maybe times they haven't or don't get it. And here, the luxury of being able to be maybe even like you said, like the luxury even that we take for granted for listening space, um, a chance to like show up really completely and know that our being there our vulnerability, like that moment depends on our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the usual, like it, it quiets me when I leave the prison and it's such an interesting thing to go out into the world and hold the same similarly intentioned space 
and feel the difference, you know? Right. But also in the end, be pretty moved actually yeah. <laughs> to have any of these humans say any of those things and know that you're someone who they are either trusted or took a chance on, you know? Yeah. The, the, the places where I've been in a similar mind state, it, it sounds like it's the opposite of prison, but when traveling extensively and knowing any person that I meet, if they are interesting in any way, they're going to be gone in five minutes. If I don't open up, you know, that, mm -hmm. that has put me in that mind state too. You're um, right. Yeah, and that's, that's all similarly hard to keep around and capture when mm -hmm. you see the same people every day and, and you don't have that fleeting nature, you know? Um, yeah, that certainly was a big part of this <clears throat> visit is having not been in for two years and yeah. with Omicron being what it is now and feeling that influence on the globe. Uh, and what happened at San Quentin and just feeling the gravity of all that and the possibility that the visit I had yesterday could be the last one in another whatever amount of time. I have no idea. There's yeah. plans to go in right out the gates in the new year, but that could be when the surge and spike, you know, spikes and peaks are happening with, with cases and, and the context of the prison, the, the prison density, like what the impact of these things are in that context. It's like, you know, traumatizing levels uh, of impact. And so just the possibility of not being able to go back in, really soon accented that I got to be there at all. And it was really cool because I had a moment to like put it down, the grief of not having been in there for two years, the grief possibly of not being able to come back really soon, as soon as we hope to. And so then like have myself fully be there. Like I just was so present and emotional and open and receptive, <clears throat> at least in the ways I can measure it. Yeah. Like just exactly all there, holy you know, there. Yeah. And you and Sylvie and me in different ways and different avenues spend more time in that open up to strangers space than mm -hmm. most people. And probably still all think, God, why can't I do this more? <laughs> why can't I do yeah, this all right, the time? Exactly. Like we're yeah. failing because we can't do that. And maybe yeah, it's right. just like as much as humanly possible, really. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. And thanks everybody. Thanks again to Sylvie. Um, and thanks to all you listeners. Just a reminder, again, you can go to Apple Podcasts. Thanks for those of you that have been putting the ratings in on that. We are, we're, <laughs> we're hitting record numbers, okay? We're getting, uh, globally, we're reaching the top of the charts. I'm not going to say which <laughs> part of the top or <laughs> anything else beyond that, but there's activity <laughs> happening where we know you're listening and we're feeling that. And we, you know, say it all the time. We're just doing this. Like, we love it. We're going to keep doing it. But boy, it certainly makes it matter all the more to know you're out there. So jump on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Put some words in there about what the podcast means to you, how it's going for you on the listening end. Now, Spotify has a rating system now. I mentioned it earlier. You can, if you're listening on Spotify right now, you can rate. They just added that feature like this week. So go in there. Like, give us, give us some stars in Spotify. And um, again, uh, we need you to support uh, and are so appreciative of all the ways you do support You're Going to Die, the podcast. But if you want to do a little more, go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and you can contribute as little as $1 a month. Um, and just know it means the world to us just to know that you're out there and that you care. So thank you all for listening. Until next time. Bye, Nick. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.